So this morning, uh, we are going to continue in uh, the, the Gospel According to Luke. It's a series we started back in December. And uh, so uh, back in December, we, we looked at the first couple of chapters, and then we took a, a little bit of a break, and we went through the Jesus saturation thing, and then there was Easter and all this stuff. And so finally, now we're coming back to the Gospel According to Luke. So we're going to be in chapter 7 today, if you will turn uh, with me there. Um, I, uh, I, I have had a cold this last week, and I thought that I was over it, and then about 10 minutes into the message earlier, um, just all sorts of uh, waterworks just come from my nose and throat, and it was, uh, please forgive me in advance for uh, the sips of tea that I will take and the uh, number of Kleenex that I'm gonna use. Um, so, uh, yeah, Gospel According to Luke, that's where we're at. Um, we, for those of you who um, maybe this is your first time uh, studying the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's a couple things that you need to, to be reminded of as we dive into this. We haven't talked about it in a while, so I want to remind you a couple things. One, the author. Who wrote it? Um, the guy's name was, was Luke. He was actually not a firsthand witness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? He, was, he was somebody who came along afterwards. Um, he began to follow Jesus, and uh, he began to... to, to, to believe that he needed to put together an orderly account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, okay? And so um, he was not an eyewitness. What is interesting, though, is in addition to the, the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament. And at, in Acts 16, we see this transition in the way that he writes. He goes from third person to first person. So he writes all of Luke and the first part of Acts in the third person, talking about them and they, and all of a sudden he starts talking about us and we. Because he joins the movement. He joins the, 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 the way of following Jesus. Um, he spends a lot of time with the Apostle Paul, was probably there uh, at the end of, of the Apostle Paul's life. But, but Luke goes about putting together an, an orderly account of, of the church and before that of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, he's, the, he's the author. He's writing to a person named Theophilus. He addresses both Luke and Acts to this individual named Theophilus, and what's interesting is we don't see his name anywhere else in the New Testament or any extra-biblical writing. And so it could be that uh, Theophilus was the guy that underwrote his, his research, that he paid uh, for Luke to travel and, and interview the eyewitnesses. He'd have to go around a lot of different places to find people, track them down, and, and get their, the firsthand uh, accounts of, of what they saw. And so maybe he underwrote that, maybe he paid for that, maybe he was this, this wealthy, non-Jewish Christian who, who paid for it. The other idea, though, is that Theophilus is a pseudonym, that um, it's a pseudonym for, for the audience that Luke is writing to. The name Theophilus means lover of God. Lover of God. Luke is essentially writing to the lover of God. To the person who's gonna pick up these words and because of their love for God, dive into them in order to know. And that's what he says. He's writing this orderly account so that you might know, specifically you might know Jesus. You might know this person who this is about. And so this morning, there's, there's something that Luke wants you to know in the section of scripture that we're gonna be looking at, and it's, it's simply this, that, that Jesus will either be the biggest blessing of your life. He'll either be the biggest blessing of, the, of your life, or he will be the one that your life breaks and shatters on. He either he will be, either you will find in him a fortress, a rock of refuge, or you will find in him an immovable object in your path that you will stumble upon and shatter over. But whether he is the rock of your refuge, 
or he is the rock of your stumbling, you will not be able to avoid him. You'll not be able to avoid him. I'm gonna pause and pray, and we're gonna dive into it. Heavenly Father, um, I ask for your strength this morning to overcome my weaknesses. Um, as, I'm, as I'm dealing with this chest cold, I pray that you would keep those symptoms at bay so that I can communicate clearly. I pray for the people here this morning who are going through difficult trials and they have doubts about who you are. I pray that you would remind them of the truth. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that they would leave here today with hope. I pray for anyone who, who is here this morning um, who, who is, has a hard heart. I pray for the person who is here this morning and, and would say, I didn't come in here needing you, Jesus. I pray that when they leave here today, they would, would leave understanding that they do need you and they would search you out. Father, we give this time to you. Uh, we love you. Uh, I pray that you're glorified in everything that's said and done from, from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, read with me uh, Luke chapter seven, uh, beginning in uh, verse 18 through 23. The words are up there on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's all right. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended <clears throat> by me. So from the very beginning of, of Luke, we've read about this guy named John the Baptist. Uh, we saw in the very beginning um, how he was, he was born. His, his parents were too old to have children. It was miraculous. Uh, but he was born with a specific purpose and a mission, and that was to prepare the world really for the one who was coming after him. And so we see in the first two, a couple of chapters how he enters the world. We see in chapter three how he enters into the mission field that God has called him to. He was out in the wilderness. God calls him, and he enters into the stage, and he starts preaching this message of repentance, this message that says God is holy and he's righteous and he's perfect and he's just and you're not. You're not. You're, you're, you're sinful and you're unrighteous and because of, of the difference between you and God, there's this vast chasm between the two of you and, and because of that, God wants to reconcile you but he can't reconcile you to, until your sin is dealt with. You need to repent of the ways that you've rebelled against God. You need to repent of the ways that you've turned your back on God. Repent. This is, this is John's message. Repent. And, uh, and what's interesting when you look at his message uh, re regarding this Jesus or this, this, this one who is to come, this is what he has to say about him. Uh, if you look at uh, Luke 3, 16 and 17, it's also up there. Luke, or, uh, John says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now I ask you, if this is the first time you've ever heard this message, you ever heard John say this stuff, what sticks out to you? 
Isn't it judgment? Like unquenchable fire, winnowing fork. There's this idea of separation and what is good is kept and what is bad and worthless is thrown away and burned up. It's this picture of judgment. He says this earlier in, in, in verse nine. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is is telling people that they need to repent because somebody's going to come onto the scene who's going to bring judgment. You hear that? You you see the pictures that John is creating, right? And so Jesus does come onto the scene. Now, what's interesting about the the Gospel of Luke, it's different than the other three Gospels, and that Luke doesn't talk about how the adult Jesus and the adult John connect as adults. Um, Mark and, and Matthew, they talk about the fact that uh, John actually baptized Jesus. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to repent because he didn't have any sin. Um, he, he was baptized in order to set an example for all of us. If you are in Christ, baptism is, is one of those things that we obey him in. So he, he sets this example. Uh, Mark and uh, uh, Matthew say that, that uh, John baptized Jesus. Luke doesn't say that. Um, the Gospel of John, written by a different John, um, he says that there's, there's Jesus, he's walking along the shore of this, this river called uh, Jordan, and John sees him and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John recognizes who Jesus is and, and declares what he's about and what he's doing. Now, Luke doesn't record how John and Jesus uh, reconnect as adults in ministry together. In fact, it, it kind of appears from a, certain, from a certain standpoint, maybe they didn't. Now, that's not what Luke is saying. It's not what Luke is saying, but he's omitting that part of the story because he's highlighting something from chapter seven that he wants us to see. And that is a doubt. There's a doubt in John's mind about Jesus. See, what happens, um, Jesus begins to, to take center stage. His ministry certainly takes off. John's ministry sort of fades to the background. Um, John confronts a, a political leader named Herod about his sin. He had uh, he'd taken his brother's wife was living in this adulterous relationship with his brother's wife, and John calls him out. And this religious leader, Herod, is offended. And so he, he has John thrown in jail. He's thrown in jail. And this is where John is at. When we look at Luke 7, John is in prison, and he doesn't know what his fate is. Now, Luke has already told us what his fate is. He's going to be beheaded. But at this point, John doesn't know whether he's going to be executed or he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. But he knows he's not going to be vindicated. There's not going to be a trial. There's not going to be a way for him to be set free. He's in a really, really bad spot. And he's heard about Jesus and what he's doing. Okay? Now, I'm going to uh, pause here for a second and give you kind of an overview of the section of Scripture that we're looking at. This section begins in chapter 7, verse 1. It goes through chapter 8, verse 3. And this whole section of Scripture is about showing Jesus in a prophetic light. A prophet was somebody who didn't look into like a crystal ball and told you what the future was. It's not somebody who read tea leaves or looked at the the marks on your hand. A prophet was somebody who heard directly from God and then told people what God said. All right? So sometimes God would reveal to this person things about the future. All right? But not all the time. Not all of prophecy is future uh, events. But oftentimes it is. So uh, John is, or Luke is casting Jesus in this prophetic light in an indirect ways and direct ways. 
So we're going to break it down into six different pieces. We're only really going to examine three of them this morning, but it's helpful for you to know what the other three are about. The first uh, portion of this, this section that casts Jesus in a prophetic light is from chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And we see this story about a centurion. He's a Roman uh, army official, high-ranking, apparently wealthy, not Jewish, obviously not Jewish, and he has a servant who's sick. And so he sends these Jewish religious leaders to Jesus to ask if Jesus will heal his servant. Jesus agrees. He goes on the road to head towards his house. While he's still a distance away, this Roman centurion sends a servant to him and says, you don't actually need to come all the way. You don't need to lower yourself to come into my house. I know what it's like to have authority and be under authority. I know you're a man of authority. Like, you can heal my servant from wherever you are. And this is a bold statement of faith. Jesus is amazed by this. The second uh, piece of, of this is from verses 11 through 17. And Jesus accounts encounters this funeral procession. There's a man who's dead. He's being carried out. And he's the only son of this widow woman. It's the only son. And he sees this woman, he has compassion for her, and he raises this only son from the dead. Um, the third part, which we'll look at today, the third uh, is, is G- John asking the question of Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus responds. The fourth part is, is Jesus talking to the, the crowd. We'll talk more in depth about that. The fifth part of this passage we're gonna look at as we partake of communion together today. Um, so if you didn't get communion elements, uh, you can grab those be- at some point. We'll partake of communion when we look at that fifth part. And then the last part is this little seemingly insignificant thing in chapter eight, verses one through three, which says that there are these three women who've been healed by Jesus and now are financially supporting Jesus's ministry. Okay, so uh, the first, second, and sixth parts have to deal with this prophetic picture of Jesus in an indirect way. It is important for us as Christians to read our whole Bibles. It's important for those of you who are investigating Christianity to read the whole thing. The the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And I know there's a lot of churches out there and even some pastors, they only preach on the New Testament, only deal with New Testament stuff. But when you do that, like you miss the richness and the fullness as as so much of of the New Testament is, it it just, it's it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You need it. So um, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and you read uh, about the centurion and then you read about uh, this woman uh, who's a widow and, and has this only son who's died and you read about these three women who are financially supporters of Jesus, you'll read these stories and you're like, wow, this sounds familiar. Like I've, I've read something like this before. See, in 2 Kings 5, there's another military leader who's not Jewish, who's very wealthy, and healing is required in his life. He goes to someone to be healed. The healing happens, but the healing happens apart from the healer. The healer actually, uh, the one who heals him and the one who is healed, they'd actually never see each other. So it's not an identical story, but there's so much in common there that it's like, ah, there's something about this story that I should be, pay attention to. The, the story about this widow woman whose, whose son is, is raised. There's a woman in, in 2 Kings 4. She too has this son and her son dies and she turns to help and this, this prophet raises her son from the dead. And, and this same prophet, he's actually financially provided for by this wealthy woman. Sorry, so these are these indirect things in, in this section of scripture which points to this prophetic picture of Jesus. 
And so you, you think about these, and what do they all have in common is this, this guy named Elisha. He's the prophet. He's the prophet who, uh, who healed Naaman. He's the prophet who raised the widow's son, or the, the woman's son. He's the one who, who was financially supported by this wealthy uh, female. Like, he's, he's, he's the, the linchpin. All right? Now I want you to follow me here, because this is, this is going to get kind of crazy. Well, not really crazy, but mildly. Like, scale one to ten is like a three. So, um, so it's not that crazy. So, Elisha. Elisha is uh, the guy that succeeds a guy named Elijah. Right? Elijah is this, this great prophet, and his mantle is passed on to a guy named Elisha. John the Baptist is the New Testament Elijah. Okay? Some people thought he was like an, a reincarnation of Elijah. He wasn't. He was just the, the picture of, of, of what Elijah was like. Okay? So here's John, and he's in prison. And he hears this account. Right? Um, uh, look with me again, uh, Luke um, 718, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. What did they report to him? The centurion, servant healed, the woman uh, whose son is raised from the dead. They report these things to him. And he knows his Old Testament. And he's thinking, this guy sounds like another Elisha. If, if I'm the Old Testament Elijah and he's the New Testament Elisha, then there's something wrong here. You see, I've been called to prepare the way for the one the one. And this guy, cool. He's, he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. That's really cool. But the one I'm talking about, he's bringing an axe and there's fire involved and there's judgment. What does this guy do going around healing people and raising them from the dead? Like, that sounds like Elisha. That sounds like another prophet. I want you to notice, like, John isn't saying of, of Jesus that he's a false prophet. He's not disbelieving that he's from God. He believes he is from God. But John's his whole life, his whole mission has been about preparing the way for the one the one who's going to make it all right. It's, it's really cool that he's healing people and raising people from the dead. But, but what about justice? This guy's in prison, falsely accused. Did you hear that squirrel on the roof? Huge squirrels. People at, at home, like, that doesn't even make it into the, the audio, and they're like, what? This guy's nuts. All right. John's in prison, and he's like, we don't need another prophet. We need the prophet. We need the one. When we look at the Old Testament, there's, when John talks about the one, there's three things that the Old Testament shows us about what the, the one would be like. The first is that the one would be the king of kings. That, that this, this king that's gonna come, every king, Past, present, future. Every ruler, every king would bow down to this king. Uh, back in the beginning, God's people were actually a theocracy. They were meant to worship God as king. There was no go-between. There was people and God. God directly ruling over them. But in 1 Samuel, the people say, we want a king. We want a human king like the other nations around us have. In other words, we want an intermediary king a human king that stands between us and God. And so God says, well, you've rejected me, but I'll give you what you want. And so this line of kings begins with a really poor king named Saul. But the best king was named David. 
And God sends a prophet to David and he says, one day the king's gonna come. The king of kings. And so uh, we read this, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. That says 2 Kings, that's wrong, 2 Samuel. Um, that's my fault that I typed these up. This is, anyway. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The king of all kings. That's what David is being promised here. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, it's gonna be from your offspring, so it's gonna be a descendant of David, all right? He's gonna come from your body, that's what it means. He shall build a house for my name. Um, Paul talks about the fact that the church is a, is a living structure of people which God dwells in. Jesus establishes his church. Um, he'll be a son, son of God. Father, you see the relationship there? It says, when he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men. Jesus actually didn't commit iniquity. However, when he goes to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The exchange is made. Jesus has taken on our sin. Our iniquity is laid on him, and he was beaten, and he was whipped, and he was crucified in our place. This is Jesus. And I want you to understand something. The king of kings, the king is going to be the judge and bring about justice. But this king also comes underneath that justice and absorbs it into himself. This king condemns, but then he takes the condemnation. It's the first picture. The second picture of, of the Messiah that we see in the Old Testament is this picture of the priest of priests. Uh, God, when he, he saved his people out of Israel, he, he, he makes them what he calls a nation of priests. In other words, they're supposed to reflect to the whole world what God is like. A nation of priests. And then from this nation of priests, there's gonna be a tribe of priests, the Levites. And they intercede on behalf of the people. And then from this tribe, a, a high priest who intercedes on behalf of all the people to make atonement for sin. The priest makes sacrifices to assuage the wrath of God. So like the king of kings, this person will be an intermediary between God and his people. The priest of priests is an intermediary between God and his people. Right? We see this pictured uh, in Psalm uh, 110, verse four. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, this, is, this is a prophetic uh, psalm talking about the Messiah, but it's talking about the priest of priests. And there's this weird name mention of Melchizedek that's from uh, Genesis 14. Um, that's more fully explained in Hebrews, uh, the New Testament book. But all of this to point to there's a priest of priests. There's a priest that's going to come and he's going to offer the sacrifice of sacrifices. The sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. In other words, he's gonna offer a sacrifice that atones for all sin and all sin is removed and all sin is gone. This is, this is the last sacrifice ever need be made. 
Jesus is the priest of priests, and he comes as that priest to offer the sacrifice, and he goes to the cross, and guess what the sacrifice is? It's himself. The priest offers the sacrifice, but this high priest is the sacrifice. Then there's a third pictured of the prophet of prophets. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Something happened when the people of God were gathered around this mountain and they heard the voice of God and they were terrified of it. They didn't want to hear from God directly. They wanted Moses to be the intermediary. They wanted him to stand between them and God. And so Moses goes up the mountain and he receives God's law and then Moses communicates it to the people. This is a picture of what it means to be a prophet, the one who hears directly from God and then communicates it to people. But it's an intermediary. So Jesus becomes the prophet of prophets. And you think about this. He's fully God and he's fully man. If God's going to communicate to humanity what he is like, what better way to do that than to become human and to move into the neighborhood? Jesus said, you want to see the Father? Look at me. I'll show you what the Father. Look at me. Look at my life. He's the communication. He's the logos. He's the word of God who communicates to us once and for all who exactly God is and what exactly God is like. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus because he's the prophet of all prophets. Uh, Deuteronomy goes on in verse 20. Deuteronomy 18, 20 says this. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So uh, Deuteronomy uh, 18 says two things. One, there is a, a prophet of prophets coming. Two, you know that he's the prophet of prophets because he actually does what was said he would do. Right? In other words, his actions verify his words. His actions verify who he is. And if there's somebody who shows up on the scene and they claim to be this individual and they say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, that's a false prophet and they should die. That's what it says. So this is this picture of the priest of priests who's coming. And so this priest, or I'm sorry, this prophet of prophets, he needs to fulfill what's been said about him. He needs to fulfill this. So John, he's languishing in prison and he's asking the question, is this Jesus, is he just another prophet? Because we don't need just another prophet. We need the one. We need the king of kings. We need the priest of priests. We need the prophet of prophets. We need the Messiah. And I've spent my whole life preparing for this. So are you the one or do we need to wait for more for, for another? So Jesus answers the question, this way. Look at verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people 
of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. John, here's the first part of your answer. Look at what I've done. His disciples come to him. Are you the one or should we wait? And Jesus says, why don't you hang out with me for a bit and find out? Why don't you watch what I do? And so they do. And what does he do? He heals people and he proclaims the gospel. And then when Jesus turns to him and says, all right, take this message back to John, he puts it in language that smacks of something they know in the Old Testament. John, who knew his Old Testament, would have, would have heard the words of Jesus and be like, that's Isaiah. That's Isaiah 35, four through six, where it says, say to those who have an anxious heart. You think John's got an anxious heart? He's in prison, right? Unjustly wondering if Jesus is the one. You think John's got an anxious heart? Say to those with an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. If you're unjustly in jail and you hear those words, you're like, yeah. Vengeance. My God is coming to save you. Yes, if you're, if you're falsely accused, right? If you're guilty, then you wouldn't have that response. But here's John. He's, he's, he's remembering this, but there's, that's just the first part. The second part says this, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus is saying, okay, you guys hang out with me. What, did you, what do you see? You, the blind receiving sight, the lame are walking, the deaf hear. So part of, of this prophecy, there's two parts. One is judgment. The other is healing and the, the spread of the word of God. And Jesus is fulfilling one of these parts. John Look at what's going on. Isaiah said, I'd, I'd make blind people see. I'm doing that. Isaiah said, I'd make deaf people hear. I'm doing that, John. The other uh, scripture that is relevant, Isaiah 61, one through two, which John would have known, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Again, there's these two pictures of this, of this, this prophetic image or this, this, this Messiah. One is healing and good news and spreading all, all, all of this. Jesus is doing that, but the other picture is judgment. And so John is, is gonna hear this and you say, okay, check, he's healing check he's giving blind people sight check he's you're making deaf people hear he's raising people from the dead he's he, he, he's making lame people walk check, check check he's doing all of this stuff but what about the justice when's the justice coming and, and, and Jesus is communicating John John I am the one you've been waiting for but I'm not going about things the way that you thought I would I'm not, I'm not doing things in the order you thought I would do them. See, people thought the Messiah would come and he'd land out of heaven and he'd whip out a sword and just start hacking people to pieces. They thought the Messiah was gonna come and just bring immediate judgment and he was just gonna just, just go to town 
and the righteous would be saved and the unrighteous would be slain. Like they thought that this Messiah was gonna come and be this, this type of person. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he's meek and he's mild and he's a carpenter. He's born you know, from this lowly estate and he, and he comes on and he's healing people and he's touching people with diseases and he's loving people and he's doing all this stuff. And like, well, but wait a minute, where's the judgment? It's coming. It's coming. And day by day, Jesus walked towards that judgment. He was the king. But this king went to the cross. He was the priest, but this priest went to the cross. Like he was the prophet, but this prophet went to the cross. You see, the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness. It does come down on the sinner. But Jesus takes you out of that spot and places himself there. And so the wrath of God comes down on him. Comes down on him. Then Jesus says this in verse 23. If you underline in your Bible, if you memorize scripture, this is one worth memorizing. Verse 23. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, the NASB is a more literal translation. It it says this, um, blessed is the one who keeps from stumbling over me. This, too, points us back to Isaiah. Isaiah 8, 13 through 15. But the Lord of hosts, whom you shall honor as holy, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Allow for the fact that you're a sinner and he's righteous. And he will become a sanctuary. A sanctuary. But he won't just be a sanctuary. He'll become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. See, throughout Scripture, and especially the Old Testament, there's this picture of the Messiah as a rock. It's a rock. And and to some, the rock is a fortress. Listen to Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's okay that God is just. It's okay that his wrath is gonna come down on the unrighteousness because I go to the rock of my salvation and I hide in him and I am protected in him. The rock of salvation. This is one picture of what Jesus is, what the Messiah is, but the other picture is a rock of offense, a rock of stumbling. Uh, any of you ever, uh, maybe you come home late at night, it's dark, and um, the, 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 the special person in your life um, has decided to rearrange the furniture. And you're not wanting to wake anybody up in the house, so you keep lights off, right? And you think you know what your living room is laid out like, but you're making your way across and you stumble on the coffee table, which was not there this morning, right? So immediately what happens? You might curse. I know, some of you wouldn't. Some of you might. You might curse, and, and you would look at the coffee table, and who would you get mad at? The coffee table? 
Sometimes we get mad at inanimate objects. Be honest. Stupid coffee table. Or my wife. Right? Like grumbling at, at that, that special person in your life who, you know, moved things around and didn't tell you. Right? But you're mad at the other person. Why don't you flick on the light and walk around it? We want to put the blame on somebody else. See, Jesus is this immovable object, and every human being will face Jesus. Every one of you will come face to face with Jesus. And the question is, is will you stumble over him? Will you trip and fall on him? Will you, will you, will you, will you encounter him in such a way that he just breaks you to pieces? See, there's only two ways of encountering him. Either he's your refuge. Either he's your hiding place that you go to when the wrath of God came down. Or he's not your salvation. And you'll decide you're going to save yourself. And you'll stand before him with yourself as your own lawyer. This is what, this is what he's talking about. Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Are you offended by Jesus? I want to make this very clear. This book has one message, and that is that God is holy and you are not. There's one message here. And, and if anybody tries to make this out to say, like, he was, a, he was a great A prophet, he was a great guy, he was a really good teacher, he had all these things going for him, there's a lot we can learn from him. No. He's the king of kings, the priest of peace, the prophet of prophets, and his message to you is this you are a sinner. You have offended God with your life. You've rebelled against him. He made you for himself. And you've turned away and you've made yourself your own God and you've worshiped anything and everything else but him. You are the enemy of God. And his wrath is righteously kindled against you. You are a son of that wrath. You are a daughter of that wrath. This is the truth of who you are apart from him. Does that offend you? Because you would be here this morning and say, I'm a good person. I'm good. How dare there be any God who says, I'm not a good person. You see, this is offensive. It is. The Bible is offensive. Because its message is very clear. You need to be saved. And some of you think you don't need to be saved. You're a drowning victim. You've been thrown a life raft and you're rejecting it because you think you're fine. And so Jesus to you is a rock of offense. Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, blessed is the one who finds in me safety and security and refuge and a fortress. The word blessed uh, is a Greek word. It's, it's makairos. It means uh, it's equivalent to having God's kingdom within your heart. The kingdom of God coming to take up residence in, in your heart. So it doesn't matter what's going on outside of you. God's kingdom is here. Makairos 
is the one who is in the world yet independent of the world. You're here, but the world has no control over you. His satisfaction comes from God and not from favorable circumstances. In other words, regardless of your circumstances, you have the joy of God living inside of you. You are blessed because of the truth. No matter what happens in your circumstances, you are still blessed. That's what Jesus is saying. There's two ways of looking at Jesus. Either you will find in him a shelter and a hiding place, or you will find in him something to trip and fall and shatter on. But there is no avoiding him. There's no avoiding him. Some of you might be here this morning and maybe you're struggling in your faith. You've given your life to following this Jesus and your circumstances stink. Loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, a bad report from the doctor that doesn't look good. Whatever it is, you're facing something difficult in your life and you're saying to God, like, wait a minute, like, I'm following you, like, I love you. Like, why am I, why am I in this situation? You know, the truth is, is John was beheaded. He didn't get out of it. However, John's not dead now. And you will see him in heaven. See, there's, your death is not the end of the story. Your circumstances right now are not the end of the story. And there is a salvation that can be brought about for you if you will go into him, if you will seek in him as a, a refuge and a fortress, a place to find strength. And that's Jesus. And I want you to see that in him this morning. I want you to find hope in that this morning. I want you to go out knowing regardless of what circumstances are out there, you're still blessed because of what he's done for you. Because the ultimate problem that you could ever face in life is the problem that God was, his wrath was righteously leveled against you and Jesus absorbed that in your place. Like your biggest problem ever was the wrath of God and that's removed because Jesus took your place. But you might be here this morning and you might say to yourself like, I don't think I'm a bad person. I don't. There's nothing I can do to change your mind, to be honest. Look what Jesus says. Um, I'm gonna skip down a little bit. Jesus talks to the people about what John the Baptist was like. In verse 29, it says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So John comes onto the scene, he says repent, and some people say, I need to repent. They believed what he said was true. And because of that, they were baptized. They, baptism is an outward sign of something that happens on the inside. They were baptized. But there are, the, 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 there are other people who heard the exact same message but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves. The purpose of God for you is to be in relationship with God. I don't know what you think that you've been put on this planet for. Your only purpose is to be in relationship with your creator. He's the one that made you and he made you for him. That's your purpose. And to walk away from Jesus is to reject the ultimate purpose for your life. It's to reject what you are. 
John, or Jesus goes on and says, to what then shall I compare this, the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. Son of man has come eating and drinking, and and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Like there's no pleasing you. The reality is there's no convincing you. Will you take a hard look at the heart within you and ask, is there any truth to this? You see, you may not have come in here today as a lover of God. But I want you to to just for a second, just for a second, what if that God loves you anyway? And what if that God drew you here to speak to you and talk to you so that you might love him? Will you walk out of here today at least, at least thinking that maybe, maybe there's truth to this? Now, I want to wrap this up. We've been going a while. Uh, I want to close our time together with partaking of communion. So, um, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, I'd ask you to take out those elements. And if you're not, that's okay. I want you to observe what's going on in the room. Like, it's, it's okay. Nobody's here to judge you. And in fact, most people are gonna have their eyes closed here in a second and they're gonna be worried about them. But if you haven't gotten those elements, go ahead and, and grab them now. The fifth part of this section is where this, this woman of the world, so to speak, comes into this, this private party. And she does something completely unthinkable in this culture. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read this to you. I want you to hold those elements in your hand. I want you to, I'm actually gonna ask you to close your eyes and listen to what I'm, I'm reading to you. Listen to what I'm reading to you. And I'm gonna ask you this question. Who are you in this story? There's two individuals. There's Simon, this Pharisee, this religious leader. And there's this sinful woman of the city. Who are you in this story? One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Simon is a Pharisee. He believes that he, through his works of following the religious laws, is without sin. He believes that he is a good person. And if Jesus were to turn to him and say, I forgive you, Simon, he would be offended. Let me ask you something this morning. If Jesus were to say to you, I forgive you, would you be offended and say, you have nothing to forgive me for because I've done nothing wrong? This is Simon. And Simon, he says in his heart, if Jesus were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. But you know what? Jesus is the prophet of prophet, and he knows what kind of man Simon is. He is a man who thinks that he can justify himself before God. And yet here's this woman. This room was probably full of only men. There's low tables on the ground. They eat with their heads toward the table. Their feet are sticking out behind them. This would have been a luxurious meal that would have taken probably several hours to eat. And she kneels down behind him on beside his feet and her tears are covering and wetting his feet and she's wiping his feet with her hair and she's pouring oil over them and she's weeping and sobbing all the time. Why? Because he is the rock. He is the shelter. He is her hiding place. She has turned to him and though she has so much sin in him, That sin doesn't matter. Who are you in this story? Are you the one who doesn't need much forgiveness? And so you don't need much saving? And so you don't need much of a savior? Or are you the one who needs desperately to be saved? And you have been. And out of that, this overflowing of gratitude comes out of you. I want you to take those elements. That bread is a symbol of Christ's body given for you. The king of kings who condemned sin became condemnation. The priest of priests who makes the end sacrifice becomes the sacrifice. The prophet of prophets who has more fully explained and showed us who God is He has taken your place, his body given for you. His blood poured out for you, symbolized in these elements. These are outward signs of something that you believe deeply in here. If this is your king, if this is your priest, if this is your prophet, if this is your God, then partake of these elements. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for your son and the grace you've shown us. Lord Jesus, thank you for not only giving us your life, but from rising from the dead and giving us eternal life. Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of us and establishing the kingdom of God within us so regardless of our circumstance, we are still blessed by you and we have an eternal hope and a secure hope. We have the rock to cling to and it is completely immovable. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who still needs to see their sin. They would say, I, I am not a bad person. I pray that you would show them what their heart actually looks like to you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. One final word before we sing. Lots of us as human beings spend our lives trying to become free. We want to be free from rules and free from governing authorities. We want to be free in order to express who we are completely and fully. I want you to think about these two individuals, Simon and this woman. Which one was more free? Which one had found a greater freedom? The guy who rejected God's rule over him? Or the woman who didn't care who was in that room, didn't care about the, the social rules she was breaking or the consequences for them. She didn't care what people thought of her. She went in there and unabashedly, unashamedly poured out her complete heart to God in loving him with, without restriction. Like, which one of these people was free? I think a lot of people in our society, they would look at that woman and say, she's the one who slaved she's not I wish I could worship like her because to be honest sometimes I feel either like the biggest fraud or the biggest, biggest weirdo in the room but I long to be able to worship him like she does because of what he's done for me if you knew how big of a sinner I am before Jesus let's worship